Hello there. we will reveal ourselves to the jedi at last we will have revenge hello there welcome to a podcast about star wars shatterpoint the star wars universe my name is jesse aiken i'm joined by my co-host amon kuzo how are you doing today amon doing very good jesse we're out here doing some jedi hunting having a good time looking for some jedi that have recently come out of hiding apparently apparently jedi in hiding no it's very exciting man this is a really cool episode to do today that we've been talking about for some time and on top of that, a little bit of real world stuff. You and I have been playing a lot more Shatterpoint in person and on TTS in our low there leagues. And then on top of that, we're about to be at Lone Star Open and we're going to be playing games in person and playing MCP in the competitive events. So I'm just very hyped and I'm hyped that you and I get to hang out in person too. Dude, I'm super hyped. It's been a while since I've seen you. Yeah, for sure. So that's what's going on in real life. And we'll probably cover that on the bonus episode in the least. Probably some of it on the main feed will sneak in, you know, but yeah, I definitely think so. I'm very excited to talk about the models and the box today. And yeah, I'm excited to hang out in Dallas. I mean, it's a bit of a drive for both of us. Yeah. It's a midway point though. So it's pretty cool. I don't know. It's very special to me. Briefly touching on with Charles, but it's like Amon and I met Lone Star Open last year at this exact time a year ago, just by happenstance, same end of the table. I was there with one of my friends. We're all hanging out. Charles is there too. That's where it all started. I'm on. Because now we're here and we've got like a business and a podcast and Star Wars minis exist that did not exist a year ago either. That was the first hello there. Absolutely. And then of course that extended off and on throughout the year, but then of course culminated at LVO and you can see all the steps, you know, and it's super cool because... I mean, Amon got shoutouts on Fury's Finest a year ago because we extensively covered Lone Star Open and the primary feed and the bonus feed and kind of my journey to going 6-0 and taking that title. And I'm hoping that we're talking this discussion again next year, Amon, and that Shatterpoint's doing something major at Lone Star Open because Lone Star Open is a huge event for Star Wars Legion, like a massive event for MCP. And as Charles said recently, that's sort of best of the best of the South. I took that as a huge compliment for us. You know, this is kind of our event in this side of the country. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I do hope to place very well. My goal, obviously, is to try to win, but I'd be very happy just getting in the top four, just because the names out there that are coming down. Texas is is a hard, Oklahoma as well, is a hard area to play in because right. we've got some hard hitters here, but even like the locals are very good, right? Because they're practicing against you know, Sooner and Zach and right. some of the guys in Houston. So it is a shark tank, an armadillo tank. Yeah, that works. Lots of those in our states. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Amon. It's like the innate ability of all of our players is very escalated. And then you bring in like guys driving in from Missouri and they have very powerful scenes as well. And yeah, man, I'm just super hyped about it. I think we'll both do well on MCP, but even if we don't, we're going to be grabbing Shatterpoint games everywhere we can between our MCP games at the end of nights, you know, and then of course getting some good pub hangs, hopefully. So hopefully, yeah, that'll be a good time. But I just had to mention that while we're here because, you know, this is a snapshot in time right before we're about to leave. Like maybe some stuff we learned about Shatterpoint we get back to because me and Amon actually get to play in person. That's, That's all right. I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But 
we are doing a unique episode today, Amon. We are doing a primary show. We are doing a primary box episode today, but it's a little bit different. We are doing a duels pack, our first one on the show yet. That's right. Duels pack are a little different because most of the boxes, in fact, all the boxes we've covered, including the core set, are designed to be self-contained. They're synergies between the units. They play together. And, you know, you can definitely mix and match with other squads. But in theory, the box comes prepared to play. With the You Cannot Run box, that's more interesting because while it is a particular duel, a snapshot, if you will, of two characters in the pivotal combat moment, I think it's more interesting. Actually, it might require more discussion because these characters, these units, have a lot of homes in which they can thrive in, they can succeed in. I think Vader obviously has more homes than Obi-Wan. Sure, at the moment. Yeah, at least obviously, right? I think Obi-Wan Kenobi out of hiding is a character that has some challenges in the premiere format, specifically with squad building, and we'll get more into that as we get into the episode. But I think also it's exciting because we haven't really figured out where he truly fits. And so hopefully we can explore that on this episode and talk about this box as a whole, but very cool, interesting units in the box. No, absolutely. I agree with all that, Amon. I just say it's a unique opportunity for us to cover one of these dual boxes for the first time and look at through a slightly different lens, but our normal format of lore and strategy discussions and how you play the box as a whole. Of course, this will be how you play the units you know, as a whole and where they might fit. And we'll cover that, but I'm just really excited to get in today because it is a little bit different format. And yeah, man, this box is beautiful. But before we get into that, we have some people to thank. Hello there is supported by Mr. Laser and mr-laser.square.site, your resource for everything Shatterpoint. I have on good authority that Mr. Laser has trays out now on the website, which is very exciting. So you've got those magnetized trays to hold your premier squads or your full core set on the tray. So that's up to, you know, four groups, four boxes, your premier list, whatever it is, magnetize it, get on that tray, rep Mr. Laser, have a nice, clean, minimalist format to transport your minis to the game store, to the tournament. He's got those in his store. And also, Amon, we mentioned our last episode, we announced our discount code, Mr. Laser. That is also good on product and the trays. And that is the code. Hello there, five. Absolutely. We also have to thank our new partner, Imperial Terrain. Imperial Terrain is the leader in Star Wars Shatterpoint and Star Wars Legion terrain, specifically STLs. You can also purchase physical copies, but we do have a discount for their digital products, the STL files. You can use Hello There 5 for 5% off all STL files. And if you're a patron, you're in luck. We are doing a monthly giveaway for a set of STL files from Imperial Terrain. We determine what the file is at the beginning of the month. And so for the first month of our partnership, we're actually going to be giving away an entire Fractured City STL Terrain set, which is super exciting. The base set for Fractured City As Jesse mentioned on the last episode, in fact, as we've both mentioned on a couple episodes now, even prior to this partnership, the Fractured City base set is designed as a modular set, and it's designed to integrate with the terrain in the Shatterpoint core box. If you're interested for some slightly different looking terrain that 
actually does fit very well. It's quite interchangeable. It can be a Coruscant. It could be any sort of major Star Wars industrial city on any planet. It has Orbesh on some of the buildings as well, the Star Wars main language. So it's very exciting. And I'm super excited to get our hands on a physical copy as well. And I know Jesse and I both have some plans on how we're going to both paint each of our sets up. Yeah, I'm really excited about this partnership. We announced it last episode. We're starting to play on John's stuff, which is incredible. Highly recommend The Fractured City, like I mentioned last episode, and The Forest Moon right now. But there's a bunch of other stuff I've got my eye on in his store, being the terrain guy, bringing some other planets to life. And we'll be following up with that on this very show. And yeah, definitely use our code hello there 5 Absolutely. Now, moving on to our next set of thank yous here. Hello There is supported by our patrons support hello there at patreon.com slash hello there cast if you enjoy the show consider supporting us and joining our discord community and we take this time to thank all of our patrons for the support and so from the release of the last episode we have two new patrons we have wilting moon who is an acolyte slash padawan and then sean who is a jedi knight sith warrior thank you to both of you for your support oh And it looks like we have one more, Patrick, who is also a Padawan acolyte as well. So thank you to the three of you for your support. Thank you, Patrick. Special shout out to Patrick because he runs the Furious Finest Leagues. And he's awesome. Is he going to run our Shadow Point Leagues as well? He could jump in, but I would love him just to enjoy it. He does an incredible job on the Furious Finest Secret Wars Leagues. He is a real life Matt Murdock. Law talking guy. Of course, Amon, we could not do the show without our producers. They're very important to us, and they make every show happen. That's Jedi Rusty, Jedi Rich, and Bounty Hunter Brady. But we saved the best for last. The ultimate shout-out, the ultimate ruler of the galaxy, Sith Emperor Kevin, our number one producer. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Yes. Thank you, Rusty, Rich, Brady, and our galactic overlord, Kevin. Appreciate it. It is all Kevin's galaxy. We're just living in it. Yeah. I mean... You're not wrong. Not wrong. All right, Amon, let's get into today's main topic. Are you cannot run dual pack, starting with Obi-Wan Kenobi out of hiding. Spoiler alert, spoiler warning while we are here, we will be talking a lot about Kenobi today, the show, Obi-Wan Kenobi, because turns out AMG really wants us to laser focus on the Obi-Wan Kenobi show because this Rivals box in particular focuses directly around the events of that show, this version of Obi-Wan at this given point in time, and this version of Vader at this given point in time, this snapshot. I would say, Amon, this is an even tighter snapshot than we normally get in the game. I would agree. I think this is a particular episode in that show. Very interesting. We don't want to summarize the show. I will say that, but spoiler alert. Yeah, and fun fact, AMG mentioned during the Adepticon preview that they were able to work on this box and the Jedi Hunters pack, which is the Inquisitors pack, in advance. So this was like a top secret project. I think they mm-hmm. codenamed it Fulcrum or something, I think Shik said on the stream and in person. And they got to work on this in secret. So it's like very exciting that this box came out. And I think it goes to show the strength of the relationship between AMG and Lucasfilms. It's quite exciting. It's pretty incredible, right? 
to add this insider knowledge of like, in the least, just the costumes, where the characters are in this moment in time, what's their like purpose looking like, and how to translate that to game mechanics and game development. It's incredible. Like you said, it's high praise for AMG, and I hope Lucasfilm keeps them in that loop. So they're always one step ahead, right, with the new shows and the movies and stuff like that. I think that would be incredible for this life cycle of this game because also in those same said streams I'm on and just through knowledge of being in these communities that we have been for so long, you and I have, we've gathered that, you know, the development cycle process is pretty long. So to not only be ahead and be on time, that's so unusual, especially for the Star Wars medium, someone who's played Star Wars games my whole life. Typically it's got to come out, then the developers see it, then they start development. And then frequently it's like a two year or three year cycle sometimes for certain games till something's on store shelves or in people's hands. So that really delays some stuff. As someone who worked with manufacturing clients, the manufacturing industry, lead times are incredible. I mean, it takes a very long time for things to just be manufactured and I guess it's even longer, right, when it comes to gaming because you have to come up with the idea and then apparently, you know, you might have to get it approved by the licensing and then you got to get it back and then you got to create this balance and rules and, oh, by the way, you got to make this character. It's incredible. Like, I think a lot of people underestimate and don't realize how much work goes into just making one box and molds. Good gosh, molds are super expensive. My dad has a couple molds for his small business and they are not cheap. Oh, wow. No, that makes perfect sense. All these elements have to come together in tandem and work. And so it's very incredible that we're at this moment. We have something as recent as Kenobi, which was only a year ago, out in the wild fully, you know? So I'm very happy about it. But all that out of the way, we talked about Obi-Wan Kenobi's show spoilers are coming. And they are probably coming on the Inquisitors episode as well, though that gets to focus on other parts of the Inquisitors and canon, which I'm very excited about. But quick synopsis, I'm on. It's been almost 10 years since the events of Revenge of the Sith. As Obi-Wan says in the show, we lost. The Republic lost. We've talked about this feature of Obi-Wan, which is so interesting to us, where it's like everything he was, he fought for, the Jedi, the Republic, his friendship, you know, his brotherhood with Anakin, all of it just came crashing down, right? This is a very broken and beaten Obi-Wan we have. But also, this is an Obi-Wan with a greater purpose of seeing Luke and Leia living and reaching adulthood, quite frank, you know, to be a new hope for the galaxy, to be some Jedi twins, to do something in the future. But when we meet Obi-Wan in the show, which is this version of Obi-Wan we have in the game today, he's not in a great place. He's just kind of living and trying to fulfill his mission. Not a lot else. Yeah, he's very defeated. Like You can just see it in his face and his eyes. And Obi-Wan has always been someone who like stands up for the common man for for justice. And there's this very interesting scene when they're in like the whale factory you know, where they're cutting up the sand whale meat. The shift manager is being very rude to the fellow worker. And Obi-Wan kind of watches the whole thing happen. And you can tell that he wants to say something. And the shift manager says something along the lines of, what are you looking at? And Obi-Wan just puts his head down and walks away. And I think for two reasons, A, he's got to keep a low profile, but B, like, I think he's lost faith in himself and his way of life and the Republic and I guess a sense of identity, which is incredible to see. And then Ewan, you know, did such a good job portraying Obi-Wan in that moment. Like you could really feel that was an Obi-Wan who 
was dejected, was yeah. lost, was quite frankly just not the best representation of who Obi-Wan is as a character, like at his lowest point. And I really enjoyed watching Ewan's performance in that show, I think. It's incredible. And the fact that he is like the age he's supposed to be, he's in his 50s. You know, Obi-Wan at this point in time's a hair older, not by much, in his 50s. And yeah, I was touching on some of those points you talked about, Amon. Notably, he's having nightmares about what happened to Anakin, what happened to the Republic. In his mind, kill his best friend, his brother, because he's convinced Anakin's been killed. Why wouldn't he be? And then on top of that, Yoda gave him this very specific deep training to reach out to the netherworld of the Force and make contact with Qui-Gon, the first Jedi, to do that. And he can't, he's begging Qui-Gon to speak to him, and Qui-Gon is not there. He can't reach out to Qui-Gon. So he's just fully locked into Luke, and that's actually what's keeping him going. I think if without Luke and without Owen's farm, he'd probably be even worse than we see him at this moment in time. But he does have a greater purpose. He is living to see this new hope in the galaxy. So though he's defeated, though it's a very dark, depressed time for him, he still has hope there. And what's really interesting through the elements of the story of him going to rescue Leia, his purpose is rekindled even more. And he learns how important it is that not only Luke and Leia both grow up, but that this is what he was born to do, actually. Everything he's done in his life has been great. He's done a lot of great stuff, like you said. He's been a man of the people. He's been a general. He's been a Padawan. He's been a knight. He's been a master. None of that matters because really he learns by the end of the show what his true purpose is. And his true purpose this whole time has been to see these twins grow up. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think what's really telling about Obi-Wan is actually when Senator Organa is like, hey, Leia's missing. He's just like, no, sorry. He's like, I'm staying put here. Yeah. Which is a far cry from what the original Obi-Wan would do. Obi-Wan of old, 10 years ago, wouldn't even hesitate. He would be like, all right, send the ship over. I'm on the way. Yeah, in his mind, he's barely hanging on. He's barely feeding himself in his camel, his Eope, and he's watching over Luke. And then Bale says something very profound. He says, she's just as important as him, if not like the same. And she's my kid. And how many times have I helped you? He gets Obi-Wan out of his rut. The events of that show really help everyone get back on track. And you can see his old self again. It's pretty powerful. And the snapshot we have Obi-Wan is those early episodes in the season, the early episodes leading up to the first encounter with Anakin. And the reason why this encounter with Anakin Vader is so powerful is because Obi-Wan's entire world is rocked. He was convinced Anakin was dead, right? And meanwhile, he senses Anakin's presence, sees Vader show up, someone completely different entirely, murdering families and children in the streets, dragging them with force chokes and force pushes out in the street to draw Obi-Wan out. And it's pretty cool that the real life story of this is Ewan said when they actually filmed this stuff and he saw Hayden dressed as Vader in the dark coming at him. He said he was transported back to being four years old when he saw Star Wars first time. Genuine fear. He channeled that in a method acting way because this is not so much Obi-Wan's terrified of Vader. He's terrified that Anakin became that and he's now in this moment in time. And he's like, for 10 years, he's been convinced of one thing. And now he's seeing not only something different, Anakin Alive, that's different enough to rock your brain, but Anakin Alive, who's now this Sith Lord cyborg leader of the 501st Legion, coming after him and just murdering people. I mean, that just, if that doesn't rock your worldview, I don't know what does, you know? 
Yeah, it's actually very traumatic, honestly. Like he goes from this, I'm hiding, I'm trying to lay low, everybody's dead. I feel guilty about killing my brother slash Padawan. That's right. My best friend to like, oh no, not only is he alive, which boom, mind blown. He's also <laughs> like the big bad pretty much outside of Sidious, right? Which is incredible. And this particular snapshot of Obi-Wan Kenobi out of hiding is I think episode three. Yeah, a lot going on here. Like, when do we have Anakin? When do we have Vader? When does Vader start turning back into Anakin? Like, it's very powerful. The redemption arc of Vader, the tragedy of Darth Vader, as George likes to call it, the six films. But you can't even imagine putting yourself in Obi-Wan's shoes in that situation. If he was happy and in that situation before that, obviously he's way defeated before that. It's very intense. And that scene is very well done. Before even the fight, just the like, Vader arriving, Vader's presence, Obi-Wan feeling his presence, Vader finding Obi-Wan's presence, chasing him down. And then, of course, it leads us to this conflict, which is like the derelict mining facility. Yeah, I remember when I was first watching the episode and Vader kind of pops out of nowhere. And it looks like Obi-Wan, he's like trying to snap out of it. Like, yo, is this real? Like, what's going on? Almost like he's in a stupor, right? And then you imagine like, you know what? He's just going to go for it. And then he just takes off. And I'm like, yo. Yo, what just happened? You know, very interesting. Yeah. So we're not going to summarize Kenobi here, but obviously Obi-Wan finds his inner peace and purpose as a Jedi does and his inner hope and channels it. And it's great, but that's not the Obi-Wan we have in this moment. We have halfway through the season, Obi-Wan, the beginning to the halfway point, essentially. We don't have, you know, Obi-Wan that is like master of Suresu and Ataru onward you know i still think of that mall fight like in rebels all the time just think of it this obi-wan would not approach that fight the same way that older obi-wan and rebels did so dude if this obi-wan ran into mall i think mall would have beat him possibly yeah you're right but i just man i still think about that rebels fight i want to see it in live action make it happen lfl please when i first saw it i was actually really annoyed by the way spoilers for star wars rebels but we did this in Maul. Yeah, we did. Maybe someone's skipping around, but it's a perfect time to deep dive into some about it. I'm on this fight. Yeah. So this kind of, I think as a younger individual, it frustrated me because I was like, this is what I want. This is what I want. Give me like an epic five minute fight, a rematch of the century, you know, like they're both old men though. It was like Pacquiao versus Mayweather, right? Like they mm-hmm. were both older. Mm-hmm. And so I was excited to see two giants of their time, if you will, give it one more go. The fact that it ended in like not even 15 seconds, not even that was very frustrating for me. Yeah. And shout out to Filoni and all them for making it, you know, build that anticipation because it was like Obi-Wan's eyes, Maul's eyes, one of them gripping their saber, one of them kind of repositioning their legs. And you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be sick. And the greatness of the fight, the true art of the fight, if you will, was lost on me when I first watched it, obviously, as I've Rewatched it many times and read people's thoughts on it and mm. chatted with people about it. It's a very smart move by Obi-Wan. And again, redefines Maul's biggest strength and failure is his confidence, right? In fact, overconfidence to a certain extent. It's kind of beautiful though, too, right? Like the it way is. it ends. I mean, Maul knocking out the campfire, them igniting their sabers, Maul going his traditional dark rage stance, Obi-Wan going Suresu, and then Obi-Wan saying, no, we're going to Taru. And that's Maul's cue in his brain to, you know who I killed with a cheap move when they were using Ataru? Well, let's say it wasn't cheap. 
He just beat Qui-Gon. When you hit someone in the face with the hilt of the saber and knock them out for a second, then spin around and stab them. It hits him in the forearms. It's a block. It's a smart block. No, he hits him with the hilt, not the saber. No, yeah, the hilt. As he's coming down, the hilt hits him right here and here. And he's like, oh, and then it looks, I mean, does it really matter if it's the face or the forearm? Does it matter? I think it's the face. Well, I don't know. Quagan looks pretty dang stunned for it to be his forearms. That man was a little bit built. He had to be. Swing that saber around. Whatever. The point of this, Amon, is that when Obi-Wan goes to Ataru sideways, keep in mind, he's a different place in life, right? Seresu, we've talked about, it's a swashbuckling, heroic fighting style, right? I mean, look at the pose, right? The starting form of Seresu, right? When he goes to Ataru, Maul sees that and Maul's like, I'm going to do the same move I did on Qui-Gon. I'm going to hit him with the hilt of the saber and then do the spin and hit him. And now we have like an seasoned old man, Obi-Wan and Maul goes for the move. Obi-Wan cuts through the hilt, does the full samurai cut to the one cut all the way through. It's like, we see you Filoni, you pay attention, right? So the move that knocked down Qui-Gon gets Maul in the end. And that's when Maul learns Obi-Wan's greater purpose and actually asks him about it, you know? And he says he will destroy the Sith and avenge me, is what Maul says. Avenge us. Avenge us, exactly. As in he has foresight to the beauty of the future. Well, it's just everything's about revenge with Maul. So a truly flawed character, but I think it makes him so great because he is so flawed. It's not like a a truly evil moment. It's just like a, oh, I get it now. I don't even think that's it, to be honest. I think it's more so like... He gets the Luke and Leia thing. He gets that there's somebody... You know, yeah. we don't know who. I think for me, it's more so like Maul's just like, well, we couldn't do it. Someone will avenge us. You know, it's all about revenge. I don't care who it is. Because like, that's all he knows is revenge and hatred and anger, right? So really sad. He trusts Obi-Wan. He's like, is he the chosen one? And Obi-Wan says, he is. He is. And then Maul's like, he will avenge us. It's amazing because Obi-Wan, you know, is the guy that murdered his master and did some terrible things and murdered the love of his life and i think this is sounding very similar to the mall episode a little bit but i think again it's healing for obi-wan in that moment too it is yeah it's sad and healing and i don't know i still think maul kind of felt bad for him i felt sorry for him where it's like yeah for sure even through all that you just you're about to die and you're still thinking about revenge you know poor guy but for obi-wan to get all the way to that moment and then of course the new hope moment see all this to fruition, right? Like Luke and Legan together, surviving in the rebellion, right? Being all together. This is very cool. But like, I do like that the distinction today I'm on before we get into strategy is Obi-Wan Kenobi out of hiding. It's like you said, it is that episode three onward moment. And, you know, I think the card matches up with all this and we can cover that now. Yeah, let's do it. Obi-Wan Kenobi out of hiding is a secondary unit with a point cost of four. He has the tags Force, User, and Jedi. He is no longer part of the Galactic Republic because it no longer exists. Yep. And he's got a stamina of eight and a durability of two. Jesse, what do we think about these base stats? Well, I know it's been said at nauseum in the community, but I think it's worth mentioning while we are here, we are a show about this game. And I think this will frame our conversation going forward. He's a secondary very interesting and bizarre for Obi-Wan, but also he's a secondary. Is he just a slightly depowered primary? We'll talk about that. And I think it's very interesting and seems like how they designed this character, but 
already at the gate, Amon. I think it's very unusual and different. And Force User Jedi makes sense, though barely any tags, which future proofing wise means he's a little bit less versatile. Yeah, it's very interesting because as we'll get to Vader, he's got all the tags in the world. Right. But then this Obi-Wan specifically does not. So there are some synergies when it comes to Jedi. Definitely. We'll see the Force User stuff in a moment. But one thing I think we should point out, Jesse, very quickly is the fact that he is a dual era. I'm glad you did that. Yeah. This is our first instance of dual eras in the game yet. I'm shocked we haven't said in the episode yet. I guess it just hadn't come up naturally. But another feature of this dual pack, which is unique, I don't know if the future dual packs are going to be like this, but this one in particular, it's interesting value for you as a player. I mean, these models can slot into multiple eras. So by their nature, they are a little bit more powerful when at least when it comes to list building, because you have a little bit more freedom slotting these characters at will in your Clone Wars era or Galactic Civil War era stuff. Exactly. And so as a refresher for the way that eras work, there are four current eras in Shatterpoint that have been officially announced by Atomic Mass Games. We have Fall of the Jedi, Reign of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, and The New Republic. Now, the symbols are split on Vader's and Obi-Wan's unit cards. So the first half is Fall of the Jedi. The second half is Age of Rebellion. So what this means is that any eras that are listed on the card and any eras in between the eras listed on the card are eligible for being played when unit building and squad building. So there's Fall of the Jedi, Reign of the Empire, and Age of Rebellion are eligible for both Vader and Kenobi. Yeah, and let's look at that list a little bit, Amon. I'm shocked we haven't talked about it yet, but it is what it is. That's already asking a lot of unique questions to me, where it's like, where does someone like Andor from the Andor show fall, right? Probably before Age of Rebellion. He's in the Age of the Empire. So I'm very curious how they use this going forward, but the fact that these models technically are in three spots, right, on this timeline order is very cool. And I think very strong for list building, right? I think the versatility is very important because there's a hefty price tag on the box, right? And so I think for being able to use that unit, these two characters in particular, across a plethora of different squad options is pretty cool. I mean, in fact, at the current moment of this recording, they can go into any squad released thus far. That's a great point. Yeah. And incredibly versatile, like you said, but also like it gives me a lot of questions for the future. What does that mean for future characters? Where do they fall? Two eras, one era, three, you know. But at the moment, like you said, Amon, they fit in all teams. And at the moment, they're in the most categories thus far, which is notable. Yeah, especially because Atomic Mass Games has confirmed that there will be, you know, a new Luke, a new Vader, Stormtroopers. So we can assume that is all Empire Rebellion stuff. So the fact that both of these characters will be able to work with those characters It's very interesting. In fact, it's really funny to think that you could probably take, and again, we don't know point costs, but Return of the Jedi Luke with Obi-Wan out of hiding. You're speaking to me. That's right. You're speaking to me. I'd like to try that if it can work. We'll see because he costs four. So he's that average cost of a secondary. He's not cheaper. He's not more expensive. He's that average we have in the game thus far. That might change. We do this podcast for a couple more years, but it seems like four cost is going to be like the midpoint at the moment. I imagine it'll be like MCP, you know, in the beginning, 
the average was four, and now it's three. So who knows? We'll see. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's get into his card, Amon. I think it's super interesting. You did talk about he has eight stamina. I mean, he's average, right? I think fair secondary stats. Eight and two is it's nice. What you see quite a bit since you know he's such a secondary character here. Yeah, he is a secondary. It's bizarre once again, but it's super cool at the same time. So let's get into his abilities, starting with his tactic ability. It's called Run. Very simple. At the start of this unit's activation, choose a character in this unit, so Kenobi, or another allied character that is engaged with an enemy character. That's the clause for your allied character. The chosen character, whether it's Kenobi or his allied character, may now recover one and reposition. Amon, I think this tactic is super cool and it's only going to get better as players' tenure improves. I agree, and I think you did well in accentuating the fact and how this ability actually works because I think there is some confusion on how it works because of the way that it's worded, but you're absolutely correct. means at the start of Obi-Wan's activation, Obi-Wan can recover and reposition or another allied character that is engaged with an enemy character can. So he has more freedom. Yeah. Essentially. But your allies have to follow this clause of being engaged. Yeah. Cause you know, I'm going to tease you a little bit here, but he's a scaredy cat right now. It's cool because like, it's very defensive, which obviously I like the type of player I am, but also recover one and a free reposition for him or an ally is just an incredible tactic. Like, I think you're going to want to shatter point with him at times for this in particular, right? Reposition the board, move the chess pieces around, maybe get rid of that expose on an ally, right? Which is terrible. He gives you a lot of versatility and you're like repositioning on the map too. Not to be confused with the ability of reposition, but like the actual game state playing these games of, oh, we're in a new struggle now. We need to get somewhere else. He's going to help us with that similar to Padawan Ahsoka does. Yeah, I think it's a very powerful ability. It allows Obi-Wan out of hiding. Let's call him Obi-2 for this episode. Yeah. It allows Obi-2 to be very mobile, being able to advance out of engagement, being able to just get a free advance at the beginning of his activation. What's also very fascinating to me is that the recover and the reposition can actually take out two conditions or remove two conditions because the reposition would remove the pinned. Well said, yeah. And then the recover can do whatever else you need it to do. So I like it. It's a pretty good ability and it allows, I mean, I'm just thinking about this, right? Like, let's say you want characters. It is free. Let's say you have a character that's, you know, B1 battle droid. Okay. They don't like being in combat. No. You know, like maybe you were like tired of getting charged by your local mall or Vader or Inquisitors, right? This allows you to just get your B1s out of combat range, get back to their higher defensive stats, maybe get onto a point, as you said, in struggle too. There's a lot of flexibility here, and I think that's where Obi-Wan shines, is he's giving characters a free get-out-of-combat card. 100%. Yeah. No, it's very powerful, and like that's like the big swings for it, right? Is like repositioning your board, moving your allies around, getting your allies out of engagement for free with someone they don't want to be engaged with. Maybe, you know, I've frequently seen in this game I'm on like repositions, like win games, where people reposition to score something defensively right so it's a lot of versatility like you said and it is going to be a staple of his card (laughs) and he's got some other cool stuff i think it's gonna be staples of his card and why you would bring him in a list but i think this run ability in particular is something you always want to think about when you're bringing him in a list yeah i agree 
Cranky definitely allows your team to be more mobile, better at escaping combat. Yeah. Now, his next ability is a reactive ability called Mind Trick. It costs two force when an allied character within range three is targeted by an attack. This unit may use this ability. The attack ends. If it is the attacker's activation, it may make another attack targeting a different character. If it does, remove two dice from the attack roll. Incredible, right? I mean, one of the most powerful effects we've seen in the game thus far. We've talked about on this show, like our love of force push. That's not changed. But I think I'm on mind tricks creeping up on force push, especially with reps of the game. I think force push is a little bit more plug and play. But as we go on and on throughout the life cycle of the game, people get tenure, like I mentioned earlier. I think Mind Trick is going to show its face in really powerful ways, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to win games. And we can just break it down through its elements of why it wins games. But just stopping the attack of a major character, neutering their activation, is super powerful. And obviously, this ability gets even better when Obi-Wan's by himself as a solo, on a side point, by himself. Because... Now you don't even get the different target with two less dice, which is terrible, by the way. But you don't even get that. I will say inversely, if you're like, you can attack wounded models, right? Like that's a feature of Shatterpoint. So you can still do it. Like maybe put some conditions on someone else, but the Kenobi player is going to use this at the right time to win a point, quite honestly. Yeah. So I think what this allows the Kenobi player to do is it reforces their opponent to bring two units to combat the one unit, potentially. Yep. At least two characters. So Jesse's absolutely right. Obi-Wan can use this on himself because he is within range three of himself. And it doesn't say it just has allied. Right. Now, what's crazy is the attacker gets another attack if there is another eligible attack action, Jesse was saying. So if there is no other option to attack, the character then just spent an activation doing nothing which is brutal. It wrecks melee characters that aren't in melee with multiple models, which makes sense. I mean, thematically, the ability in Star Wars canon, very powerful Jedi ability, something Obi-Wan's mastered in his old age. But yeah, I think it's absolutely a game-winning ability. It's also why it costs two force, which is very costly. It is expensive. I think it'll take advantage of maybe players who are not familiar with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-2 or newer players. But I think as you get more reps into this unit in particular, you have to just be aware of what he can do and what he can't do. And in this instance, like it's something that you're just going to have to think about when you're going to contest wherever Obi-Wan is. And you know what's crazy is that there's no range limit on this attack, right? Like, right. If someone shoots a gun at you, he can just Jedi mind trick them from range five away, which I think is pretty crazy. It's incredible. <laughs> so, I mean, this might just keep a model alive at its worst state. Like you said, he's force projecting out in front of him and keeping them up, which is very cool. Also to Amon, I think notable to talk about this ability. We've hinted at already that Obi-Wan's kind of like a depowered primary, but he's like a powerful secondary that's kind of like a primary, right? That just does less. So he's unique in that way. And we're going to talk about more as the show goes on, why he's so different from other secondaries, which typically support their squad a lot as a whole. I think he's more like a 1v1 secondary that takes on primaries through his fighting style and through mind trick and through his greater purpose coming up. So in that way, I think as a player, you're winning because maybe your heavy hitting primary 
is engaged and locked in with Obi-Wan, who's a secondary, thus you're losing out on the battle as a whole because Obi-Wan's keeping you locked in with him and he's fulfilling his role. Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly a possibility. I think Obi-Wan, he's a pretty interesting secondary character that, you're right, doesn't have a lot of the same synergies that secondary units often provide. But I think that's the curse and the blessing of coming in this box is that this is more of an individual secondary unit that kind of does his own thing. Yep. That being said, you know, Mind Trick, again, pretty strong ability. I think there could be instances where maybe you don't really need a lot of force on your team. Okay. And you could just Mind Trick three times, right? If you have six force on your side in three different activations and really shut down like half of your opponent's offensive capabilities. I mean, it's something that can be done. Should you do it? Is it even possible? Will your opponent even allow you to do it? Those are all questions that can be answered, but I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, you talked about keeping Obi-Wan on the flank. Maybe it's worth sticking him in the middle of the board and making that range three bubble a little bit more sure. compelling. Yeah, well said. Right? I don't know. Also, irony, Amon, in that, you know, scenario that's whether feasible or not that you just presented of him doing my trip two or three times. I think the highest likelihood of that happening is in a mall list. Super interesting, right? Because of Maul's lack of force cost. So interesting, but let's move on some more abilities before we talk about his form and then, of course, his play style as a whole. So he has an innate ability called Greater Purpose. This unit has immunity to expose. I love this. Additionally, when this unit would gain an expose token, one character in this unit may recover one instead. This is very interesting to me because expose is a great way of taking out enemy units. I think Jedi especially. Jedi especially, yeah. I think disarm and expose particularly do hurt any force user because they tend to turn enemy crits to failures, etc. And so jumps, all kinds of cool stuff on their expertise. Correct. So Obi-Wan here is really able to survive longer than most secondaries because of this ability. I mean, this cannot be understated. It's a very strong ability. And a lot of popular teams right now, I think, rely on Exposed to do a lot of their, you know, heavy lifting. And so the fact that, you know, he can just say, oh, you don't get to expose me and I get to remove another condition off or. It's not a choice. You You have to give them the Exposed and then he triggers this recover. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're right in that if there's an Exposed on the tree at some point, then yeah, you have to. But otherwise, well, actually, that's not necessarily true because you can always stop your tree at any point. Even like coordinated fire, I guess that's probably a may as well. So it's, it provides yeah. really interesting, but here's what's funny. That's fine. They're not using their abilities. The clones with the sure. clones, like there's a lot of things happening that Obi-Wan's controlling. Yeah, you wouldn't use the Night Sisters' coordinated fire against him. You wouldn't maybe, ironically, it's a direct counter to Maul because Maul's ability pulls you and then exposes you. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And just closing on his card, Amon, real quick before we talk about his form, he has one more innate the last stand of the Jedi. For each injured token Obi Wan Kenobi out of hiding has, he adds two dice to the attack and defense rolls of his pools. So, I mean, I think that's a great segue. Yeah, let's look at his stance card and look, let's look at his numbers and see where they get buffed up because he has a durability of two, right? So let's keep that in mind. Yeah, so Form 3 Seresu is the name of his stance card. He's got no range attack. He's got six dice on offense melee and then five and five both respectively on range and melee defense. 
So if and when he has a injured token, so he's taken his first, really his first, and first wound after and that. He's pulled his card, yeah. Yep, or shatter pointed. Then he's going to seven defense, which is pretty good, honestly. And eight dice is pretty solid. It's incredible for a secondary, right? Quite honestly. It's pretty high. It's very high for pretty a secondary. And obviously, the more he gets hurt, the stronger he gets. Interesting with the mall juxtaposition. But I like that, Amon, especially too, when he gets his last hurrah, his dice are buffed even more, right? They're buffed by four. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's mainly the attack. It's mainly the attack. Which is 10. Yes, because after the activation, he'll be removed. But yeah, 10 is pretty solid. That's a hello there jump and swing on a secondary yeah it's pretty good yeah it's pretty good but you mentioned his tree i'm on let's talk about his expertise real quick and then we'll have Amon lead us down the tree of seresu on this obi-wan so his expertise on attack is his lightsaber only so it's melee on one expertise he's going to get one strike on two to three he's going to get a crit and a strike on four plus he's going to get two crits and a strike so if you roll a bunch of expertise you're not in like huge trouble. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where you start seeing that secondary balance come into play. Yep. A lot of other primary Jedi start off with crits and strikes and etc. Obviously, this is Obi-Wan who's getting back into the swing of things. And so the expertise is maybe not as finely owned as it has been in the past, but it's not bad. I mean, on average, you know, you're getting an extra hit, maybe two in. It's pretty nice. Same thing on his defense, right? With patience. One expertise, one block, two expertise, two blocks, three plus expertise, three blocks. Pretty straightforward. It's clean. Yeah, it's simple. It's like a clone trooper a little bit, almost like commando, which is pretty chill. Yeah, a little better than clone trooper. And one for one is, I'll take that conversion. I think the most notable part I'm on is like that two to three on his offensive. That he gets a crit, you know, and the hit. Like, that's probably the bigger spike is just, he got two expertise, he got two stuff. He got two things, but. One was a crit. So let's talk about a Sreisu tree because it is pretty interesting. Yep. So there is a starting tile that branches off into two paths. Effectively, there's three paths on this tree. And so we'll just take each branch at a time. So starting with the upper path, we have the starting point, which is a recover and a damage, which leads into a jump and two damage, which leads into two recover. And then a shove and two damage. So a total of five damage, three recovers, a jump, and a shove. Okay. I like it. Very evocative of the General Kenobi Sreisu. Yeah, five damage isn't bad. It's certainly not like something to really write home about, but the three recovers and the shove is pretty solid. Interestingly to me is that this is the recover tree, or you know, we really want to heal Obi-Wan back up. Yeah. While getting a little bit of damage out. Where his second branch, I think, is the more damage-centric, like fighting on a point. So we'll start again with the recover and the damage. Then we go to a shove and two damage. Then we go to a shove and one damage. And then three damage. So we're doing seven damage on four tiles, which is pretty solid if you think about it. Two shoves. Two shoves. I mean, come on. It's not bad. I think this is the more offensive one you want to take if you're really trying to put some damage down. And you know, outzoning the character again that you're fighting against the shoves pretty solid. I mean, if you can roll, you know, one expertise, maybe two, yeah, you can hopefully get that shove. And so it's a pretty reliable shover. 
super interesting. Notable. This Kenobi hits a little bit harder down the middle tree than even general, and he pushes twice. Yep. And so if we go down that final tree on the bottom, the first two steps are the same. So you get a recover and a damage, and then you get a shove and two damage. But instead of going straight, you're going to take a downward path to a reposition and two damage, culminating in three recovers. So this tree is a little more interesting in the fact that you're getting four recovers, five damage, a reposition, and a shove. Yeah, so a little bit different from the General Kenobi as well, because he would normally do the six damage, the pin, disarm, reposition. This one's kind of just doing this five damage, but then like push, reposition, and a bunch of recovers. Makes perfect sense that they're using the same form through different ways. Is this your favorite part of the tree, Amon, this bottom path? Yeah, it's really interesting. What's my favorite? I mean, the easy answer is situational, but I think I like the two shoves down the middle path. I mean, seven damage is respectable, and two shoves and a recover on top of that, especially because he's immunity to one of the four conditions, is pretty solid. Yeah, no, I think that's a perfectly great answer, and like obviously something you're going to do a lot with him, but I think the bottom path has my attention in particular because four recovers a shove and a reposition and five damage is like if you pair that with run and other elements of his card you can get three advances yeah three advances is like nuts try to form it in the theater of your mind which is pretty tough he could have done his run advance a normal advance so like say he was on like kind of the side he advanced twice to the mid attacks someone does a little bit of damage recovers a lot and then advances again to the opposite side of the board where he kind of started. That's a dream scenario, but also at the same time with ingress points and stuff like that, not unattainable or crazy to think because when a model like this has this many repositions and pushes and stuff, shoves and stuff, ingress points become more open to you. Yeah, it's very interesting actually that example you bring up because effectively what Obi-Wan can do is he can, with proper placement, slingshot himself off an enemy character. And I think this is really compelling in Struggle 2, where, you know, Struggle 2 generally favors the individual who lost Struggle 1. For sure. And so if you win Struggle 1 and your opponent is picking a very favorable Struggle 2 option, then Obi-Wan can help you get to maybe a back point that they thought was safe or hard for you to reach, which I think is very interesting to think about. You pair that with his defensive nature and his recovering, which is very innate to him. And now you're kind of an, an issue because that is a dream scenario I'm on. But it's like, if I did that with my Obi-Wan, now my opponent has a huge question to deal with where they thought, oh, I had this like back point with the B1 that could score two points every round because I chose an advantageous struggle to me. Now Obi-Wan's all the way back there because he repositioned two or three times advanced essentially. I don't know. He asked questions and I love that. And he wants you to attack him, right? And be a problem. Yeah, he does. And I think that dream scenario that we're discussing, if he is, again, all of a sudden contesting an objective that your opponent thought was safe and had minimal units or response there, then Jedi Mind Trick saves him from contesting, right? Yeah. He also just makes them like be ineffective during their card, which we know now through playing Shatterpoint, doing this cast, how impactful every time you go with a model is. Because frequently in this game, Models will not activate three times. When you experience that and say that, a lot of models will not activate three times. So for Obi-Wan to shut down an activation entirely is a huge swing. 
especially if he repositioned to a side flank that is now a new struggle. So I think that's his strength and that's his forte. And that leads us right to our last bit here of Obi-Wan, Amon, before we get into Vader, Jedi Hunter. What other ways do you think we're going to play Obi-Wan? What type of lists are we going to put him in? And this is tough because I think this question is a little bit more complex than our normal box episodes for sure. It is because I think if you want to play Republic, particularly in a premier list, then you can't really play Obi-Wan out of hiding because of the way that the rules are set, right? They have the same alias. and Two characters with the same alias, effectively they are the same person, can't be in any of your four squads. I think for a myriad of reasons, I think one, it just doesn't make sense. It's fair in the lore. But two, it makes your list selection when playing less complicated, less easier to predict. It just makes things simple and clean. So that's the official ruling. You can't run the Obi-Wans together in a non-premier match either. They can never be on the board together on the same side. It's fine. I mean, I think, again, if you're playing Republic, then you're probably never going to play Obi-Wan Kenobi out of hiding because General Kenobi has such a strong identity when it comes to the Republic play style. Yeah. And I think it's just so core to the way that team functions, especially at a higher level. So the question becomes is, outside of Republic, where do you want to place Obi-Wan Kenobi? And I think that becomes the more interesting question, right? He does do well under Maul because Maul is very, he's force efficient. And I don't know. I mean, I think like personally, if you want a secondary that gives you a little bit of control in a list where maybe you don't necessarily have a lot of control, he slots in pretty well. I mean, again, Jedi Mind Trick is very solid. If you're maybe having a list that requires maybe a faster piece, then Obi-Wan can certainly do that. We've given a couple examples of how he can trudge up the board and slingshot himself around if things work out. And I think lastly, if you're playing a list that doesn't want specific units to be in combat, then because of his abilities, tactics ability that's global, it can help you reposition or save some of your characters from getting attrition down in melee and can really open them up to maybe being more mobile or more efficient in their movement because, you know, they can get that reposition well that reposition can be you know even closer to the other side of the board or wherever you need it to go so i think it's really interesting in terms of list building like i don't know if there's like necessarily a perfect home for him yet i certainly haven't put in too much time into trying to figure that out to be honest but i've been thinking about it what about you jesse it's tough i want to challenge though probably agree with part of your question earlier with the premier list format and him not being viable in that because where Republic is at the moment, it seems like Obi-Wan's an obvious choice in your premier format of choosing four groups. General Obi-Wan. Right, yeah. General Obi-Wan. Well said. But that aside, I know a lot of tournaments and early events are probably not going to do the premier format. They're probably just going to do two rosters. So with that said, I think in that format, he probably does shine in the Republic playstyle if you don't want to play Obi-Wan. What I mean by that is Anakin could take a four-cost model with him, right? And you just play five first troopers, right? So right there, you've already got a power piece in Anakin. Five first troopers, which are completely serviceable and strong enough in Republic. And Obi-Wan, who's going to shut down other threatening models against your list, right? And let Anakin do his thing. So now you're in an interesting spot where it's like, okay, you could play something else Republic as long as it's not Obi-Wan, right? <laughs> and your second squad. So I agree with you in the premiere format, but in the more casual not even casual is the word, in the more just basic you show up with two lists format, 
in the game, which I think a lot of stores are doing. I think this Obi-Wan could shine. And unfortunately, too, I'm on referencing what you said earlier. I think this Obi-Wan could shine even more because probably in that format, you're going to have newer players, less seasoned players. And this Obi-Wan can just run the table if it's an experienced player because all the repositions, all the recovers, all the defensive abilities on top of the pushes, he can really own a side of the table if you play him. That's my first thought. That's the Republic thought. Does that make sense to you? It makes absolute sense. I think Rex or Ahsoka would be better with Anakin just because Anakin is so force hungry. Well, you just put one of those on the other squad, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I just wouldn't do it. I still think Ahsoka or like a Cody or a Barris would be better. Well, what I really think I'm on is like, we need to explore this list that's Obi-Wan and Ahsoka in both squads and what that looks like when you just have unlimited mobility for free with tactics, right? Yeah, that, that could be a good shout in terms of an interesting list for yeah, sure. Yeah, it just sounds fun to me too and something I would really want to pursue because you're just always getting your pieces where you want them to be or defensively out of bad scenarios, right? Yeah, it's really interesting to think about it. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I haven't really given him that fair of a go on the table just because I'm interested in other things right yep. now. And you know, I'm trying to be transparent about that. But also, like, I don't know if his best home is Republic. I actually, I don't think it is. No, I agree with that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying those are the scenarios I think he excels in Republic and what people should try if they want a Republic. Oh, I see what you're saying. If you want to play him in Republic. I'm incredibly interested in this model. So like the model plays the way I like to play, mobility, control, defensive nature, outplaying your opponent, maybe through repositioning and abilities. But just as Amon said earlier, I feel very torn and it's very tough because I can't play General Kenobi, right? And as mm. someone who I've been favoring and playing in 90% of all my games. So already at that moment, I'm at odds with that thought process. He's just already going to excel in just the two list format instead of the premier four list format. So that's my first thought. My second thought is, I think you're absolutely right, Amon. I think he's going to excel in these kind of agnostic lists, maybe a bounty hunter list, maybe a Mando list, maybe something that's just not so focused on like the separatist keyword, the Republic keyword, right? Where you want all this energy you want to do. And I completely can see that. And in fact, I'm thrilled to see what he could do in a rebel list. Like, what does that look like in the future? Where you slot him in with some rebels? Maybe the rebels are like not as defensive as him. He brings some defensive nature to them. Plug and play. Let's go. You know, theme kind of works. I could totally see him popping up with some of the rebels at Ferrix with Andor, something like that, or Leia at some point. Let's go. We just don't know at this moment in time. But I think you're absolutely right. I think he's a powerful secondary piece. He's just inhibited by his own nature of the list building. Yeah, it is. And I think the keyword synergies that you're expressing are absolutely the case. I mean, Republic and Separatists want to play with Republic and Separatists. Now, again, you're right. There's a, a ton of things that are on the horizon that have been announced. And like some characters that we've seen have aged better with more options and tags and keywords. I think maybe... With Maul, I think that's probably one of the better primaries he can function under. I think maybe even a Dooku if you're not doing the whole Separatist thing. Yeah, just like Force Pool itself. Yeah, just the Force Pool. And then, ironically, I think he does really well under Vader. Yeah, and we can get to that shortly. But yeah, well said. He's a really interesting piece, right? He's super unique. Also, I will mention, because I am very excited, Amon, because the Dark Side already has this in the game right now. But he's our first piece in many steps to getting the all lightsaber list for light side people. 
He's our second secondary after Padawan Snips, which who has the same problem. Can't bring the primary right. But now we have Barris, Padawan Ahsoka, and Obi-Wan. So we just need some Force user supports, right? To have the full Jedi lightsaber list. You can play like a full lightsaber list with Dark Side, essentially. The lack of any supports that are lightsaber users for light side, we're one step closer to that being a possibility. I don't know what it would be if we ever got Padawans or something, but it'd be cool because turns out it's a fun list to play, the all lightsabers list, which Darkseid's enjoying right now. Yeah, I have no idea what that would be, but I don't know. I mean, blasters are cool, man. It's Star Wars. No, absolutely. I just, sometimes you just want to play all sabers and have fun, but that's why you got to join the dark side, Jesse. There it is. There it is. Always the lure of the dark side. Well, speaking of the dark side, let's get into Darth Vader, the Jedi Hunter, and lore. And lore's going to be a little bit lighter today because we're going to do a full Vader deep dive on our Empire Vader episode, of course. But we're going to talk about the snapshot of Vader, kind of like we talked about the snapshot of Kenobi build on this. This is our first instance of Vader in the show, but let's just talk about this version of Vader, which is the Jedi Hunter among. So this is like the 10 years between Revenge of the Sith and New Hope, which is 19 years. So Vader's not at his full power level. He's got about 10 years to go. He's not fully sure of himself on the Empire side of things, but he's fully sure of himself on the Force user side of things, right? The fighter that he is. And also, I will mention too, that it seems like in canon and comics and books and games, they always distinguish this version of Vader from like the like Empire Strikes Back Vader, where you've got like, you know, additional 10, 12, 13 years, right? But when I say that, I say this Vader's kind of the midpoint between end of Anakin's career, Dark Side Anakin, to fully established Empire Vader. And that's a lens we're going to look at this Vader through, if that makes sense. That's right. I think it's really interesting to talk about this particular Vader because, ironically, there's not much to say. He's a tool. He's not a commander, you know? Yeah, but not even that. Like in the show, he's just used as a plot device and there is this emotion and relationship that he shares with obi-wan but the show is strictly an obi-wan show with darth vader which was great to see hayden come back and sure you know that beautiful scene at the end of the show i think incredible there's not really much to say like he's just an angry dude going around and killing people and doing some bad things and yeah I don't know. I mean, there's not really much else to say, right? Yeah. Like, there's no redemption arc. And, and I'm pulling a little bit more from just the show as well to flesh this out. But I mean, he's, this is the operative Vader. This is the, I murder Jedi. I'm a symbol of the empire of the force that Palpatine has. I'm not quite the Sith Lord commander that I am. We're just walking to battles across the battlefield. I'm more the hunter, you know, I'm more the emperor's servant. And we see that in his tags too. Yeah, we do. And again, I would push back a little bit on that and the fact that like he is leading the Inquisitorius. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So he is, I think, you know, like step one, turn into the Empire. Step two, kill all the Jedi you can. Step three, find the remaining Jedi. And so this is step three on a path of many steps to get Vader and Palpatine to their end goal here. But yeah, I'm just saying he's not quite the general. He's not the general commander Vader. He is, and that's very clear through this version we're giving him in the game. He is that just like that symbol, that inquisitorious leader, that weapon. Yeah, he's just a weapon. Vader later on, he has so much notoriety with his legion, also with just his presence. First of all, he doesn't have to kill Jedi anymore because they're all dead. And second of all, he just walks onto the battlefields and just like, 
you know, throws a saber at one rebel, four strokes another rebel, just keeps walking in. You know what I mean? Like that's the general Vader. It's just very different from this Vader's a little bit more selfish, and that's okay because that's where Anakin Vader is at during this time period. He's still trying to figure out his role as Vader. He's not fully Vader yet. And I think they make it very clear by the end of the show that he is fully Vader by the end, essentially. Yeah. I do think this show does a good job of showing the slight internal struggle that Darth Vader always has, I guess, fighting Anakin against Vader in his mind. And I think Obi-Wan really makes that a tough one for him because anytime (laughs) Obi-Wan shows up, he's like one track mind. Where is Obi-Wan? I need to find him. I need to take him out. It's almost like he has to kill an old version of himself. Obi-Wan is that last remaining piece. Yeah, for sure. Because after Obi-Wan, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to see it, goes away at the end of episode four, like episode five is like beat stick, brutal, full, malicious Vader. I mean, you can argue that there's this one scene where he doesn't let Boba shoot CP3O, as I think we've talked about before but aside from that like he is very much the big bad all the way up until that luke fight in episode six but you're right in that the tags demonstrate some of this a little bit so we have force user galactic empire galactic republic inquisitorious and sith and i think we should talk about this a little bit that's a lot of stuff and you know i guess while we're here before we get deep into these tags i'm on he is a primary unit cannot include him in strike team with anakin skywalker and he costs seven points so just like Anakin, he's costly. So now we have Dooku, Anakin, and Vader being the most expensive models in the game thus far. And he brings you four force to your team. Four force is awesome. One thing I do want to clarify on this unit cannot be included in a strike team with Anakin Skywalker. It works a little bit differently yeah. from Obi-Wan yeah. because you can have Anakin and Vader in your premier list. It's bizarre, but it is what it is. It is bizarre. I think they should fix that. They should errata yeah. that. But technically, you can. They just can't be on the field at the yeah, same time. Most certainly, yeah. Now, just tying off his base stats before we get into that tag conversation, 12 stamina, which makes sense. It's, I think, the most stamina we've seen on any unit, period, and three durability. Yep, absolutely. Three more stamina. So it's a big deal. Yeah, I like to view this Vader as a Vader who is very shortly after Mustafar. You know, he's still leading the remnants of the Galactic Republic. Yeah, for sure. So he is leading clone troopers into battle. Oh, yeah, he did this for a while. Yeah, for a while before they got phased out by the stormtroopers. Phased out. See what you did there. That's right. Yep. So I like it. I don't mind it. I think it makes sense. I know some people don't like the fact that he's a Galactic Republic, but I think it's good for the game. I think it makes it more interesting. People love Vader. He's an iconic character, arguably the greatest Star Wars villain, movie villain, excuse me. Yeah, scratch the Star Wars part. Just villain, yeah. Yeah, just villain. And he's got some amazing tags. I mean, Inquisitorious too. Yeah, very notable. Yeah, we're going to build on that. Love that. And I think it justifies the price point of the box. I mean, if you're going to spend $100 on two miniatures and terrain that you can't really use right in your actual games then you're gonna need a character that or two characters rather that can slot in a lot of places one through the use of tags and one without the use of tags that's right and those holographic cards certainly help the pain a little bit at least it's a feeling you know though minute yeah i think this vader is very cool amon similar to what we're talking about with obi-wan now where it's when we get empire vader with the stormtroopers which they showed at depth 
Are you going to start asking yourself questions of like, what type of Vader player am I? Am I the Jedi Hunter, more loner Vader? Am I the more the Empire-centric Vader? Are they different? Are they the same? I'm curious to see. But once again, that's going to too narrow list building for the Vader players, which is a good thing. Agreed. And I think when probably choosing between the two potential choices, the identity is probably going to be where you start, right? what identities you can utilize for your list building and the greater strategy your team is trying to achieve. But then also, I think the tags are really important, right? Like Empire Vader's probably not going to have the Republic tag, right? I sure. think we can all make that fairly educated yeah. guess. So at that point, like, are you an Inquisitorious player? Because then you take Vader. Are you a Republic player? Do you take I Vader? It. I do like the fact that AMG did this. They gave us this gift. I do appreciate it. And I think... It's really made my Star Wars Shatterpoint experience a lot more fun because A, I get to play Obi-Wan and Vader together, which is very crazy to think yeah. about. But then I also get to enjoy, like, as you said, the lore of the dark side, which is running a ton of red lightsabers into battle. <laughs> That's right, with that Inquisitorious tag. Absolutely. So it, it's very cool. And I think when we have the second Vader, we can really dig in on that episode and kind of look at the differences. But right now, this is the only Vader we have, and I'm very happy to have a Vader in the game. It's very iconic and important to Star Wars to have a Vader. And, uh, you know, have Vader during this time period, which is pretty New Hope Vader. And I always love that because uh, red eyes on the helmet is a very unique point during this era of time before his helmet goes all black. I'm on Empire Onward. So, but that's really interesting. Rebels and New Hope. He has the red lenses. Why does he change them to all black? That's just a prop discussion. In 1980, when they did the Empire stuff onward, but it's just a stylistic choice that made New Hope. And then all the creators post that time have chosen to represent Vader's suit during New Hope era with the red eyes to keep it canon with that time frame. It is canon in the actual canon that Vader has multiple suits. His suit changes over time subtly. He gets improvements and things like that. So the actual canon, you can tell yourself, is the red eyes weren't cutting it as much, you know, and he switched to all black, you know, going forward. Because, I mean, there's subtle changes with Vader's suit all the way to the way he wears his tabards, right? His Anakin tabards. Sometimes it's under the armor, the, the top piece. Other times it's over the armor. So he makes stylistic fashion choices from time to time. But yeah, the red eyes are a very important distinction during this, like, Revenge of the Sith to New Hope era of 20 years. And then the red eyes are gone. That's so interesting. Maybe it was the final remnant that he washed from his outfit after the death of Obi-Wan. Well said. I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe he's like, assigned for a new helmet and I just need to be a new Vader. Absolutely. So and I'm going to start wearing my tabards over my armor as well. Because if you check out his Empire look, he's wearing those tabards outwardly, open, proud, a lot. Vader's suit is so interesting, Amon. We can do this in a bonus episode, but like something to blow your mind about Vader, which I'll leave here and we'll turn the bonus episode. If you look at Vader... In the movies, you know, he's got that triangle where his mouth is, right? And then on, the, yeah, grill. the grill. Mouth and then grill. on either side, he has the angular cheekbones. Due to lighting and movie magic and camera angles, things that are way past my purview, for some reason, to make him look better on screen, in the first movie, they put more silver on the left side of his helmet. A lot of silver. It's shocking. On the cheekbone. And then the right side's black. That is canon. That is actually how his suit looks. That's not how his suit's drawn in art. But if you look at his costume, he has more silver on one side 
and you don't even think about it because you've seen Vader's helmet so much, but in movie lights, cameras, stuff like that, it's even less noticeable. But it's a feature of his helmet's not completely symmetrical when it comes to paint, and that is completely intentional through movie magic. If you look at a replica, it's insane, and you'll never be able to unsee it again. I'm sorry, but it is some fun Star Wars magic where you're like, if you saw him with all black, shiny black on both sides, you would actually, in your brain, would think something's off, right? So in Kenobi, they match that silver the same as well. They know what they're doing, but the red lenses, if you're painting this Vader at home, the red lenses is the way to go if you want the canon look. So I'll leave it at that. And I also think the red lenses fit this Jedi Hunter Vader better than the Empire General Vader. Right? I mean, it works, right? Also, I think to fully circle around to your question, Amon, I think the reason they got rid of the red lenses is because they were slightly see-through. In certain shots in New Hope, you can see David Prowse's eyes. And that had to go. Mm. The easiest shot to actually see Vader's eyes is the very end of New Hope when Vader yells what? When Han shows up and does the yeehaw and blows up the Vader's wingman. Like, Vader turns his helmet to the side to look at the Falcon. You see up into the red and see the actor's eyes. And so maybe it was just like, a, like the red's cool, it's intimidating, but on camera, you can see the eyes and we just got to get rid of that. Maybe that's what I was fully, I'm not really sure. That's the Vader costume spiel. If you're making Vader cosplay, just always know there's one side of the helmet that's got some more silver. It's bizarre. It's crazy. No, I see it now. I'll never unsee it. Well, there you go. Welcome to it. That's Deep Star Wars fandom. And apparently, you know, because that is a feature, it looks better on camera and lighting and stuff. And uh, it's the way our minds see Vader's helmet. It's crazy, right? And they've always made that consistent on all the costumes. Let's get into this card. Darth Vader Jedi Hunter has a active ability called Vader's Fury. It costs one force. Each character in this unit may advance during the next attack made by a character in this unit. During this activation, after all dice rolls have been modified, Add two damage to the damage pool. I think you and I talked about this in after in a like bonus episode, but Amon, at worst, this is a advance with a kill an enemy model if they have two stamina left. Because you don't even need to worry mm-hmm. about the tree, what you do on it. This damage is getting through, in theory. Yeah, 100%. We definitely mentioned that in our bonus episode. But yes, this is really nice because what this allows you to do is, you know, Vader's going to hit hard. You know, let's peek a little bit ahead. He's got seven dice on his melee attack. So depending on some of the abilities we have yet to talk about, that can get bumped up. And of course, conditions can affect dice rolls and outcomes. So Vader is going to do a lot of damage. He's like Anakin. He slaps pretty hard. But you're absolutely correct in that if there is a character with just a tad bit of health left, you know, maybe even worst case scenario, you get one attack through then you know you're still doing a considerable amount of damage even if you're only making it to one tile and that can be enough so i do like that this is a take out a character on their last legs and then of course an advance it's very nice you mentioned earlier a lot in this episode actually that vader just walks around <laughs> true menacingly and this is what he's doing he's just walking up to you and then poking you with his lightsaber and it's going to yeah, hurt yeah cuz of course this is and keeping consistent with the rules, this is not like an advanced action, right? So you, of course, can advance the Invader's Fury, probably knock someone out. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very simple play pattern, but it's very powerful. And it also makes Vader's threat range very menacing because he's always two advances away from re- removing a model, essentially. When I mean removing, I mean giving them a wound, essentially, but making them invisible for scoring, right? And so you've got to be 
cognizant of that, aware of that, and he could just get to you. You do, yeah. And this also just makes Vader very mobile, like in the initial stages or even late stages of the game, when maybe attacking isn't the best thing for you to do. You know, two advances and a hunker, pretty solid. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. I say hunker, but I mean take cover. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just the short language we're all using. So it, it is what it is. It's patterns. But let's continue on Vader's card and talk about a reactive ability called Repost. We've seen this before. After a melee attack targeting a character in this unit is resolved, this unit may use this ability. If the attack roll contained one or more failure results, the attacking unit suffers two damage. Once again, this is auto damage. It's just, it's just happening. So Vader's version of deflect and melee, we've seen it a little bit on a few other characters, though less common, this repost is. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, this is the Jedi deflect that yep. a lot of the clone era guys are using, but specifically melee centric. I like it. I mean, Vader is always probably going to be engaged. Yeah. Because that's where he thrives, especially because you know, one of his stances does not have a ranged attack. I like it. It's a good one. It's just like what we said in our deflect discussions. You don't plan for it, but you welcome it openly. And the more games I play them on, I'm learning how powerful deflect is, right? It's just free damage. Fails are going to happen, quite honestly. And repost is no different. Yeah. He's going to be in combat because of those two advances, and he's going to punish you for trying to strike back at him. Speaking of striking back, the next reactive ability is called the Sith Lord Strikes Back. When this unit is wounded by an attack, after the attack is resolved, it may use this ability. One character in this unit may immediately dash and make a five-dice melee attack targeting the character that wounded it. Keep in mind that this can work against ranged attack actions as well that wound Vader. He just needs to make it to be able to hit that attack with that dash. So similar to Maul's, but better, right? Maul's is, I must have revenge. Got to be a melee attack. So very powerful, Haman. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I don't know if it's going to pop up too much against ranged attack right. actions, especially because your opponent, you know, you can measure the safety distance, if you will, before shooting at Vader. But, you know, it, when it comes up, it's nice. It's just reactive. You know, it doesn't necessarily happen all the time, but I've used it to good success every once in a while. And so in higher levels of play, you might see it less, but hey, desperate times allow the Sith Lord to strike back. You really don't want to attack Vader with a repost and this. That's what I'm gathering. But you do yeah. also want to it's attack tough, Vader. Yeah. It's tough. And this is why. Vader's identity. Yeah, I'm ready. Your hatred makes you powerful. When an allied character makes a melee attack as part of a combat action, after choosing a target, the attacking unit may suffer two damage. If it does... The attacker adds three dice to the attack roll. Two for three. I love it. It's fair. It's fair. This is an identity I'm on. You can really build around this. Not only is it amazing for Vader himself to utilize, as well as see as we get through his stances, but there's just so many great characters that Vader synergizes with that are going to appreciate this. Talk about any Jedi from the Republic. It's awesome. The clone commanders are great in combat too, specifically Rex in particular. Mm -hmm. Padawan Ahsoka, Barris, they like this. Going over to the Inquisitorious side, they love being in combat. Yeah. They like throwing a lot of dice. You're giving them even more dice because they have that attrition slash control style play. You're just loving it. Yeah. It's also crazy how good this is for a lot of the Jedi, like you said, I'm on the Republic Jedi, where they just need like to get a little bit further down their tree and really do the cool stuff. And this is a way to do that. 
you know, you maybe haven't lived till you've done a 13 dice hello there. I can tell you from experience that it's a very fun thing. To it's do. very fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Absolutely. But I do think maybe this best home is the Inquisitorious, which we'll talk about shortly when we get into how you play Vader as a whole. But Amon, we got to move on to Vader's forms because this is a primary character. So he has two forms. We should start with Dark Rage. He has a ranged profile of zero attack and a defense of five. And he has a melee profile of seven attack dice and five defense dice. You would think his defenses would be higher, but we're going to see that expertise, you know, props that up yeah. a little bit. But I really did think he was going to have higher defense, but this is the more offensive side. I think you're going to want to start in the other stance, which we'll get into in a moment. But Dark Rage is solid. It's a lot of attacks. It's a lot of damage. And so let's get into these expertises here. Defensive form is his defensive expertise. One to two expertise, you get one block. Three expertise, you get two blocks. Four plus, you get three blocks. So it scales better, yeah. but it's less forgiving if you roll less expertise. Yeah, than his other form, right? That's what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, because one to two, two expertise for one block is not very good. Yeah, it's unusual. But keep in mind, his health pool is so good. It's so high. Fair. Health pool is solid, but you're going to be taking damage yourself when making sure. attacks. So effectively, you can consider Vader being a 10 stamina character because you're probably going to take two damage. At yeah, and we, you and I have talked about this in the bonus episode, so I, I need to mention it here because it's very notable. But this Vader has no recovers on either tree, and that's intentional in design, mm -hmm. nature of the character and lore, also nature of the play style and this taking damage to do more damage. So keep that in mind as we go down these trees. Very true. Now, before we jump into that tree, let's just go over that lightsaber offensive expertise. This is where you get the good stuff, Jesse. Dark Rage, indeed. One to two expertise, you're getting two crits. Spicy. That's, that's a lot. It is. <laughs> Three expertise, it's two crits and a strike. Four plus expertise, two crits, a strike, and a free ping damage. Yeah, so now we're seeing the power of Dark Rage. He really is lowering his defenses to really just unload the damage on the opponent. And your expertise are going to cover all your bases because, in fact, your expertise are better than just your strike results on your dice when he rolls in this form. You're going to get some unblocked crits coming in and possibly more damage on top of that. Yeah, it's incredible. Speaking of damage, let's jump into Dark Rage, this tree here. It's an incredible yeah. one. So this damage... This tree can get quite long. I think the maximum number of spaces you can go is six, but there's a lot of options in how you want to do that. So I think we'll start with going in a straight line. I think from a visual perspective, that makes the okay. most sense. Now, this is only five tiles. So we'll start with two damage, then we'll go to a shove and a damage. The third step would be another shove and one damage. Fourth step would be two damage, and then a dash and one damage. Dash is nice. That's cool. Yeah. So in those five tiles, you're going to be doing seven damage, two shoves, and a dash. I love it. I also loved how it's completely juxtaposed right next to Maul's Dark Rage, which is like the same damage with just more shoves. So it's like the, it's yeah. the same form. We've got some Sith Lords doing similar stuff, but also once again, I'm on huge shout out to AMG where they keep these like forms the same shape from character to character i love that like when we looked at general kenobi Suresu and old kenobi Suresu and then we're looking at dark rage and dark rage the middle path top the bottom same shape i love that it's pretty cool 
And it harkens to the fact that, you know, this is a particular fighting style of the Sith, but they have their own flavor to it. And so while Maul is more shoves yeah. and jumps, Vader is that consistent, steady advance, right? Like he's always moving forward, putting you on the back foot. Might be slow, but it's steady. Slow and steady and seven damage and two shoves is nothing to scoff at for sure. Also keep in mind too, if you got that expertise, maybe this got bumped up to eight damage or more likely if you did Vader's Fury, you got two more damage out of it. So now we're looking at like a threshold of like seven, nine, ten damage. It just depends on where you landed on the tree plus using Vader's Fury, the ability, which give you more damage. Exactly. Now going back to this tree, if we take the top branch, if you will, two damage and then two damage and then a strain and a damage and then a shove and two damage culminating in that final dash and one damage. So again, Quite a bit of damage on this side. We're doing eight damage, including a strain, a shove, and a dash. That's not Simon, because if you did Vader's Fury, this is a that's a dead primary. That's ten damage. That's just all the primaries thus far are just wounded. Yeah, if you high roll with Vader, you're probably one shotting something, which is yeah. pretty nice. Now, if we take the bottom path, the first three tiles are the same as the straight line. So that's two damage, shove and a damage, shove and a damage. But then from there, you go down. And so the final three on this particular branch is a damage, then two damage, then a shove and two damage. So what this allows you to do is get three shoves, and then you're going to be doing nine damage. Which, if you did Vader's Fury, would take you up to 11. So you could, in fact, one-shot an Anakin. Yeah, or Maul. Or Maul. Yeah. yeah, so guarantee that Grievous doesn't wake up, stuff like that. So there's a lot of damage and a lot of shoves with follow-ups where Vader's like getting deeper and deeper into the battle. Relentless advance. That's what it is for sure. Yeah. He is just never ending. It's a cool stance. I mean, there's a lot of damage to be done here. There's a lot of power here and it's very Vader. I mean, there's not really more else to say. It's not a particularly complex tree. It's just beating the crap out of somebody. It's the tree you want when you want to wound models, right? Once you make it into combat, you're swept into dark rage. Going to his other stance now, we have Form 5 Gemso. This one's really interesting because it does have a ranged attack profile. So range 4, 7 dice, 6 dice on defense, and the melee attack of 6 dice on offense and 6 on defense. What do we think, Jesse? That's a lot of range, honestly, for the Throne Saber. These defenses are better by 1. I mean, we're learning as this game goes on how much more defense dice matter. I think if you've played a lot of hunker tokens, you're learning that. Even if it's one or two hunkers on a model, how much of a difference that makes. So these forms that have one or two more dice as compared to the other form, it matters for sure. But the access to a ranged attack is just nice. Because in this form, you're probably already further back on the board anyways. Because Mon said, when you get engaged combat, you want to switch to Dark Rage. So it makes sense that he's throwing his saber up the board. Always kind of a little bit further back, you know, being a little more defensive against shots. I agree. I think this is definitely the stance you want to start in, just because that extra defense, as Jesse mentioned, is very helpful. And his defensive form is a little better, too, because his expertise, if you just get one expertise, you get two block. That's Mando levels of greatness. You know, one to three there. It's a low floor, high ceiling, but if you can break past it and get the four plus expertise, three blocks is pretty solid. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and my last thought on this is the lore is super fun because Jim So is Anakin's acro form where he's less defensive, but it's Vader's defensive form. You know, Shien is Anakin's defensive form. So that's just fun if you're a lore fan at all, right? It's just like, oh, Vader's like 
Vader's defensive form is Anakin's offensive form. That's incredible. And that's a good call out. Good lore tidbit. Again, AMG really knocking out of the park. Going to the offensive expertise here, it's not as potent as Dark Rage, but there are some benefits here, namely the range attack. So if you look at the melee expertise called lightsaber, one to two is two strikes, three crit and a strike, and four plus two crits and a damage. So a little less potent than Dark Rage. Just downgraded Dark Rage expertise. Just slightly. It's still good, yeah. though. Well, especially that one to two, which is very consistent with Dark Rage. You're getting two crits. This one, one to two, you're just getting two strikes. So it's just a straight downgrade, but that's okay. You're more defensive. True that. Throwing lightsaber is his ranged expertise. One to two, one strike, three, two strike, four, a crit and two strikes. So this isn't as good, obviously, as the melee stuff, but it makes sense. It's a ranged attack, and you got a nice pool of dice from your ranged attack, so... It's pretty simple. All right, I'm on lead us down the tree on this dim so form. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So the first tile is a shove and two damage, because Vader always means business. Second tile is two damage. Now from here, you have a choice. You can either go straight ahead and hand out an exposed and deal a damage, or you can hand out a pin and deal a damage by taking the bottom tile. Now from there they both culminate in the same fourth tile, which is a shove and a damage. And then from here, you can choose which fifth tile you want. You can either climb and deal a damage, because Vader has finally learned the benefit of the high ground, or you can choose to just deal three damage. Which is nuts, right? Because now you're looking at the same damage, essentially, as Dark Rage. Obviously, Dark Rage had one more like bump up, but I mean, I'm on. We've got nine damage, if you really need it. It's pretty potent, man. And it's less decision-making, yeah. right? I mean, you just slap on conditions and deal a bunch of damage that's also really good to balance that out the expertise is a lot weaker on this side and the melee attack is one dice less as well though i think that's completely balanced and juxtaposed with the fact that this is a shove and two damage is the first result which we just know in this game is incredibly powerful because it could just win you the game a shove could just win you the game yeah that's all you really need Sometimes is one shove, and characters who have shoves early on in their tiles and their branches, specifically the first one, is amazing. No, it certainly is, especially when Vader's identity, he can add extra dice and just guarantee that first tile or two. Let's just be honest. I mean, it just it's very consistent for him. And that leads us into finishing out this Vader discussion, Amon, is how do we play this Vader as a whole? What's it look like? He's pretty plug and play especially just as a piece individually by himself. But what are your thoughts? Yeah. So my first recommendation, and we'll start with Republic because I think you have the most options with Republic at this stage in the game. I think when building a Republic list, you have to pick between Anakin and Vader. I don't think it makes any sense to take both because in premier format events, because you cannot escape your destiny, you have to play every single squad. It's going to make it to where you're more limited in your squad options and perhaps even more predictable given the fact that all of your squads you've selected are recorded in long shanks so mm. i would say pick between the two figure out which one you like go for it now if you do pick vader what i find interesting is that he's seven points right and so i think the best team for him in my experience is just rex and the 501st yeah so you're just doing a hard swap anakin and vader and i think both of those characters benefit from playing alongside vader i mean obviously his identity is awesome but you're never really going to use it with the 501st. But the 501st are great because they're just dishing out strains, right? They're making it 
harder for opponents to react to you and specifically to Vader. And Rex does really well with that damage buff as well because Rex hits like a truck in combat as well. And then from there, he pairs really well with whomever. I mean, I think I mentioned this earlier. Obi-Wan, Vader is yeah. a great team. Ahsoka, Vader is a solid team. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could even run Padawan Ahsoka with Vader to get additional movements out of Vader, right? Exactly. And then what also is very interesting is Luminara because Luminara offsets his identity because after you deal some self damage, maybe you take some damage, Luminara just full heals Vader. You know, it's back to being a menace. So lots of good strategy there and a lot of additional movements unlocked through the secondaries that you select. Now, Jesse, you're a Republic player, so I want to get your thoughts on Republic before we move to, well, I don't know if you are a Republic player. I mean, you've taken the sure. lead on that, but yeah, go yeah, for it. Yeah, I think you and I, in the nature of us doing this podcast in general, we are everything players because we want to give the best content to the listeners, but we favor things. I obviously think the Vader Obi-Wan list is very fun. I don't know how strong it is at the moment. I think it's strong enough for certain. There's a duality to them. Like Obi-Wan's defensive and Vader's offensive and Seresu gets a lot more interesting when you can hurt yourself, add a bunch more dice on a, a form that's got a very low dice pool, and then recover and remove that damage off that you took from it and recover your clones around you. The tough part I have about Vader and Republic is, I, I think about this question every day, Amon, where I'm just like, he's very fun, he's very good, especially as a centerpiece for your list, but is he better than Anakin? I'm not sure for Republic in particular, because Anakin has the power of scoring and the power of Republic triggers when he does the Anakin things he wants to do and you get a bunch of Republic triggers. So I think it's the nature of more Anakin brings more to the Republic team as a whole. Vader's a little bit more selfish and that's okay. So you've got questions for yourself, but I really do like the concept of like Vader Luminara, Vader Obi-Wan, of balancing out the sides of the coin. You know, Obi-Wan Anakin does that to an extent. But it's just a different flavor of that going for you. And, uh, you know, Vader's not all just like point and click. There's some nuance to his play as well. We just talked about the gym so form has a lot of that conditions, pushes, climbs are not common on trees. That's very unusual. So, I mean, that already there is pretty interesting. So I think at the moment he's a very strong Republic piece, but you also could just play anything in that spot. And it's really, what's your play style? I agree. Well, I agree. Yeah. For the most part, I think. Obviously, I think Anakin is more selfish with force. He requires, but he helps your team more as more a whole. Force. As if you're, if the dice go if in the his dice favor. favor, and if you're just mono republic. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it again comes down to: Do you want to play Vader? Yeah. Or do you want to play Anakin? Like, what's more interesting to you? I think they both work. I think they both compete well. I think if you really want to rely on the swinging nature of Anakin, and you want to put your faith in dice, then Anakin is the better choice. Some people don't like that, though, and I think that's where Vader can be that substitute. Well, we also have to discuss, too, like, advance versus jump, right? Yeah, and I think jump is better, 100%. But two advances gets more ground than a jump in a advance in a vacuum. Obviously, the verticality of Shadowpoint is something to consider. But, like, for right now, in my Republic list that I've put together, I'm playing Vader. Sounds like you're playing Anakin. Do I think either one could win an event? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's to your flavor. The part that's tough about Vader for Republic in particular is most of the clones, obviously, doesn't apply to all of them. Look at Rex. He completely breaks this rule. Most of the clones, as you said, Amon, just don't want to be in melee, don't want to punch in melee, 
they just want to have nothing to do with melee. <laughs> so you lose some identity power with Vader in that sense. That's fine. You still use it in your Jedi. You still use it on Vader every time, right? But you miss out on the clones themselves with the identity. And that's nature of the beast. Yeah, nature of the beast. That's something that you have to consider. And that might allow you to maybe take other teams within your premiere yes. like list that maybe aren't necessarily clone oriented. And yeah, I mean, it, I think, again, similar to OB2, Vader allows you to get a little bit more funky I with your it. list building, which is cool. Maybe having more options. But yeah, and then I think he also works great with Inquisitorius, right? That's a match made in heaven. Let's talk about that. Yeah. It's really interesting, though, because we don't necessarily have a three-point secondary yet. So we can't take both fifth brother and fourth sister with Reva and the Grand Inquisitor on the field at the same time. So that makes things interesting. Yeah, and we're going to talk about our Inquisitor episode, but I mean, I will touch on the Grand Inquisitor's identity while we're here, but it's when an allied Inquisitorious character wounds an enemy unit after the effect is resolved, that one allied Inquisitorious character may recover two. Then additionally, if the wounded enemy unit was a force user, refresh two force. So Vader lives in this wonderful spot and the Grand Inquisitor list where it's like, they're all buffing up their dice with Vader's identity and they're all ideally wounding enemy models with the Inquisitors, with the Grand Inquisitor's identity and getting back health that they just wounded themselves with, thus making their dice some of the most consistent in the game. And then if it's a force user, you just get free force too. It's just the Inquisitor dream. And the lore is right. That's for sure. Because they're killing Jedi. They're getting rewarded double. If they're killing other models. They're still getting rewarded. The lore is right. And I think it's a great list. I mean, they do function together. You just have to figure out what your list is with Vader. Again, it's probably Rex and the 501st for now. If there are other secondary support units with different price points or squad points, rather, in Republic, then that can open up some interesting list building. I think it would be great to one day see maybe Fifth Brother, Fourth Sister, Reva, Vader, and Grand All Inquisitor on yeah. one team. That'd be sick. That's full Inquisitorious. I mean, that's the Kenobi show at one point, which is pretty cool. I think for me, where I found the greatest success for Vader is with Maul. Yeah, for sure. Because the identities feed each other, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Maul gets an extra dice when he's at set damages of three. So you take the damage on the force speed, and then you take the two damage from Vader's identity, and then Maul gets three plus dice, and then he gets one from himself. So Maul's throwing four extra dice Very on consistent. his attack. It's yeah. pretty powerful. No, I like it. Though I will say with that list, Maul's not really giving you the force multiplier of the discount of the force pool we've talked about, the strength of Maul, just because I don't think Vader uses that much force. I will say, though, Amon, you will reserve Vader a lot, and you will use Vader's Fury as much as possible. So maybe I'll double back on my own statement and say, Vader's not using a ton of force, but he is using a notable amount when the time calls for it. So I can see Maul helping with that as well. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of playing Maul is you do have the opportunity to reserve more than perhaps in a Republic yeah. list, right? Because playing Anakin and Obi-Wan, well, Anakin's going to be using a lot of force. Obi-Wan's going to be using a lot of force. You're going to do defensive maneuvers as well. That's going to be a lot of force. It's hard to reserve in those lists. With Vader or Maul, actually, you can reserve quite a bit. And I like to run Maul with bow and super yeah. commandos. You it's know, scary. If you get that focus action, they're getting impact one so their dice are going to jump up to 
hate, and then you do Vader's identity. Your hatred makes you powerful, and you're adding three dice to that. You have two characters throwing 11 dice back to back into a single target. It's pretty dirty. It's really dirty. It's really scary. Yeah, I think we got to wait till we get more models to help Vader grow because he is a Nolan piece that seven cost. Something you didn't touch on him on, which I think is worth mentioning right now, especially the moment when people are trying stuff out. You didn't mention the plug and play powerful Rex and 501st. I also think Vader Magnus is terrifying. Plug in your mm. four cost secondary of your choice because the Magnus have so much, so many crits on their expertise. They have so many pushes on their tree and they have 10 stamina. You're not scared to buff up their attacks with Vader's identity. In fact, you welcome it because you get more pushes. And then on top of that, you can get really spicy and fun with that list. And then that four cost slot, you could throw in a Padawan Barris or a Padawan Ahsoka and just be like a support force user to help out Vader as well. It's a different flavor, probably requires a little bit more practice, but probably higher peaks, right? When you execute stuff well, you've got a Padawan, a Vader, and two Magnas just sitting on points and your opponent's like, I really don't want to deal with this, you know? And so I think it's really fun as well, but we'll see where it grows with Vader's point cost. I think it's an amazing piece that we're going to see a ton of in the game because you can just plug and play with them. And yeah, that's our discussion on Vader. I think we're obviously going to have more organic conversations as the show goes on about OB2 and Vader, the Jedi Hunter, right? We just are. And once again, when Empire Vader comes out, we're going to have to get some more name distinctions going on. So we'll figure that road when we get there. <laughs> we'll see what his name is and what Empire Vader looks like because we'll have two Vaders then too. So we'll have to get some naming conventions up. I agree. We'll have to get some naming conventions up for sure. And I do think that while our conversation on these two characters is at an end for now, I do think that they're both very interesting. And I think, you know, it's like, if you choose to get this box, are you going to get value out of it? And I think the answer is 100% yes. I think the question you really have to ask yourself is, do you want to play Vader right now? And that's probably the biggest dilemma you have to work through because I don't necessarily think Obi-Wan is mandatory in this box set. And honestly, I don't think Vader is easier because like as we talked about, like, you know, you prefer Anakin, I prefer Vader. But the only reason I prefer Vader is because I want to play yeah, Vader. And it's I've Vader. had fun with Vader myself. So it's just really like, which way do you want to go? That's all it is. So I think from a budget perspective, like do what's best for your wallet. But if you have the ability to purchase the box, then I think you should do it because it's fun. Well said. I also think it's a perfect box to split with a friend or a mate that favors a side of the force, light or dark, and you just get the opposite side from them. So if you have a friend who's all dark side and you're a light side player primarily, and you both are having a hard time with this box price, perfect time just to say, you know, we'll go in half each. We'll get a new model with a lot of versatility with multi-era functions for our lists and call it good, you know? So that's an option as well that I highly encourage. Yep. And not to be... Too much of a plug here, but Mr. Laser with Hello There That's right. 5, get you some good savings. Yeah, because Mr. Laser stuff is already discounted at a nice rate, and then you add 5 more percent on top of that. You're sitting good, and we would highly appreciate it if you supported him. So, Mon, this has been a fun episode. We need to tell everyone where they can find us. It has been a fun episode, Jesse, and our listeners can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at Hello There Cast. You can also email us at hellothercast at gmail.com and leave us reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts when you can. 
it really helps us out and gets the podcast to more and more listeners, which is awesome. Yeah, it does. And it gets Shatterpoint to more players' hands and grows this wonderful community we're trying to build right now. Of course, you want to get a part of our personal private community on Discord. You could join our Patreon at patreon.com slash hello there cast. We have tiers there with features of the Discord and bonus feeds of the podcast and many more things. And if you want to support the show directly, that's the place to do it. Of course, you can find me and Amon at a couple different places. And we're probably going to post some stuff with LSO and other cons coming up, I hope. So you, of course, can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks, and Discord, all at the same place. That's at Jesse Aiken, J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And of course, check out my Marvel Crisis Protocol show about everything Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe, Fury's Finest. Amon, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on all social media at a man who games and Longshanks, of course, Amon Kusro. As we mentioned many times now, my hatred does make me powerful as I am the only Amon in the hobby. You hunt them down. That's right. Outside of Jedi hunting and Star Wars Shatterpoint, I do have a podcast about Warhammer Underworlds called Path of Glory. It is a podcast where we discuss competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. And last but not least, I'd like to thank Lofiel for our show's music. It's a banger. Every time. Absolutely. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode about not being able to run from Vader. Like Obi-Wan couldn't run from Vader. And, uh, you know, what have you become? I am what you have made me, you know? So Vader is a drama queen for sure. And I love it. So he's got a point though. He does. But the way he says stuff, it's just every time, you know, he just, he's just matter of fact, he's sad. That's what he is. And then you pair that with matter of fact down to business and you get this combo of unique Vaderisms for sure. Well, thank you so much for listening. And remember, your hatred makes you powerful. May the force be with you. Thank you.